subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for conversations with veterinarians, oncologists, rehab therapists, and other experts discussing amputation for dogs and cats. Find more info, helpful care tips, and a free gift at tripods.com slash radio. Thank you for tuning in to Tripod Talk Radio, where we're spreading the word that it's better to hop on three legs than limp on four. Hosted by Jim and Renee and Wyatt Ray of the Tripod Blogs community at tripods.com. Jerry's Place for canine amputees and their people. Hello, this is Tripod Talk Radio, and today is Sunday, June 3rd, 2012. Today we are honored to have with us Dr. Avenel Turner from the Veterinary Cancer Group in Culver City, California. Please join us at tripods.com chat, where Dr. Turner will be joining us after the show. And visit vetcancergroup.com for more information about all their amazing services. I expect this to be a busy show, and I know we do have callers holding already, so please bear with us, and we'll get to your questions in just a minute. Dr. Turner is a board-certified oncologist who joined the BCG team in early 2010. The focus of her approach to the practice of oncology is compassionate care and strengthening the human-animal bond. We've got lots of questions, so let's get right to it. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Turner. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I think what we'll do now is just uh, welcome our caller from the 928 area code and see what we may be able to answer there. Welcome to Tripod Talk Radio. How can we help you? Yes, my name is Regis. I'm from Lake Havasu City, Arizona. And, uh, Welcome, Regis. My, yes, Regis. My Airedale Terrier was uh, just diagnosed with acute, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing this right, lymphoblastic leukemia. Mm-hmm. I understand. Yep, you did a good that. job. I understand that it's a, a fatal cancer and there's no, and the prognosis is very poor. Even with aggressive uh, chemo, the dog is not likely to survive more than a few months after diagnosis. Without treatment, I understand survival was, uh, is only a few weeks. And I'm wondering if there's anything you can tell me that will help me deal with this, with this cancer. I'm sorry yeah, to hear that. Yeah, that's, that's a start. devastating di- diagnosis. I'm so, I'm so sorry. Um, really, the, 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 the diagnosis of acute lymphoblastic leukemia is pretty rare in oncology. It's a bit more common in, in the human field. But unfortunately, we don't have a lot of good therapies that actually work effectively to treat this illness for extended periods of time. And so many times, um, our, the prognosis with treatment is not significantly different than the prognosis without treatment. So you, you are in, uh, fortunately a category of, of owners who have a diagnosis of one of the few things we are, we really have a hard time addressing and getting a handle on. However, I do think from the standpoint of palliation and control of the symptoms, sometimes the medications for the, the period of time that we can keep them comfortable, um, can be used to, to make them more comfortable um, for you, unfortunately. I think that dealing with um, impending loss or impending grief is is difficult. And, you know, sometimes if we, we could change the outcome, um, even in the best experienced hands, we can't. 
And I think by knowing that you went to an oncologist and that you, you, you went through the motions of looking for a treatment that potentially could be out there is, is really all you can do. And at this point, you know, grief and getting, uh, getting prepared and um, hopefully dealing with things after, after we've had to say goodbye um, getting a good support system around you, um, talking to your friends. Um, you know, with friends with pets are definitely going to understand what what you're going through a bit more than the people that may don't that don't have animals. And then also, I would look into maybe some grief grief counseling. Um, many big veterinary practices usually have um, either grief counseling that they offer or they are affiliated with. Or they can also make some recommendations for you for people in your area that can maybe help you help you get through this. But but I'm really sorry to hear that. That's 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 terrible. And I, I wish there were other options I could I could offer you or to give so, you some hope. So it's futile to take her to an oncologist. And uh, I was going to take her into uh, L.A. She hasn't. I haven't had her to an oncologist yet. It was just my uh, my vet that diagnosed her uh, with this. And I, I was see. Gonna take I see. Her I was going to take her into uh, uh, what's the name of the place, a veterinary cancer group uh, in Orange County, to have them okay. take a look at her. And, uh, yeah, that's our that's, that's our sister practice. I would suggest you know right at least having or, a conversation with the futile? oncologist. I don't Sorry? think it's futile. I I don't think it's futile. Um, I I think that any time you can get the experienced answers from somebody who just does this for a living is helpful, and that's where sometimes the palliation options come into play and, and the things that we would be able to do to, to make them more comfortable. Even if we can't change the outcome, we, we do want to focus on quality of life and make them more comfortable. So I would encourage you to at least have that consultation and to and to speak with one of the oncologists there. They're they're my colleagues and they're they're great people and I, I think they can at least if anything give you some 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 options for making making your pet feel more comfortable. I have two terriers. I'm assuming that this is not a contagious disease. Is that correct? It is not contagious. It is not contagious. You know, she is not showing any apparent symptoms yet, so I'm assuming that this is, is very early. And I was lucky to, to have brought her in for some hip dysplasia problems, and, and they did the blood test before they would uh, prescribe any medication for the uh, hip dysplasia and, and discovered this high white blood count and consequently diagnosed her with this. So, uh, yeah. um, I think for two reasons it would be important for you to at least have a conversation with, with a veterinary oncologist. One, sometimes we review these labs that local vets will do, which is we can interpret them sometimes differently, and sometimes there are some tests that can point to maybe a different cause or potentially something else that we may be able to, to treat that's not just acute lymphoblastic leukemia. An example of this would be stage 5 lymphoma. They also have very large lymphocytes circulating in their blood, um, and it, it is something that's more treatable than acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And secondly, we do deal with animals that have diseases that we're not able to change the outcome with our therapy. And so palliation is something we, we also do, and we do really well. And so, you know, getting over the feet, you know, the initial shock of the diagnosis, I think, is, is one thing. But also getting more information, you know, once a veterinarian um, is actually able to review all of your medical records, maybe recommend some additional tests that may help identify if there is something else that could be going on and causing the symptoms is going to be helpful. And I, I always feel that knowledge is power. And whether or not you decide to follow those recommendations or not, 
you have appropriate and correct information. And and that's the most important thing is that you make a decision with the right and correct information. So the, this uh, this information that I have is is accurate than the the fact that the she's not likely to survive more than a few months, even with uh, even with uh, intensive uh, chemo. If it's acute lymphoblastic leukemia, then then that is typically the outcome. There are obviously outliers. Just like in human medicine, some people are told they have a few a few days to months to live, and then they're alive five, ten years later. So there are those outliers, but statistically, if the diagnosis is correct, um, those statistics are accurate. Um, but like I said, there are potentially other underlying causes or other conditions that are more treatable than this particular type of cancer. And getting an oncologist involved to at least explore that is going to be worth it because if there's something different you can do, then I'd like you to be able to have that option. So, Regis, thank you very much for calling, and we do apologize uh, uh, for cutting you off, but we do have a number of callers here, and we wish you the best. Please drop by tripods.com slash forums for lots of advice and support. Um, Dr. Turner, are you ready for another call from one of our uh, guests here? Absolutely. Sure. Who can we welcome from 510 area code? This is Siobhan Gray. Hi there, Hi, welcome. Do you have a question for Dr. Turner? I do, please. I have a tripod, and her name is Emma, and she's 11 years old. And we have been very, very fortunate. Uh, she was diagnosed with osteosarcoma, uh, it was a year and a half ago. And uh, actually today marks her year and a half ampiversary. Um, but she's oh. starting to slow down significantly. And... I just wanted to understand what the symptoms she's experiencing might be to make sure that I am continuously aware of making sure her quality of life is what it should be. And, uh, again, what's happening now is she's starting to, after a walk, be very winded, and she's also having what sounds almost like a wet cough where she's trying to almost clear something from her lungs. So my guess is, is perhaps cancer is starting to metastasize to her lungs. Okay. Um, sorry to hear that. I think that given the time frame from the original diagnosis, which at this point is a year and a half, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Congratulations for Emma. Um, that Your symptoms that you're describing do sound like um, the symptoms that we see with dogs that start to develop pulmonary metastasis or, or small yeah. cancer lesions in their lungs. When is the last time she had chest x-rays done? Uh, I had them done when she originally had the diagnosis, which was a year and a half ago. And I just felt like I didn't want to do any other x-rays because my whole objective was to keep her quality of life good. And Mm -hmm. if I did the x-rays and saw that it had metastasized, it wouldn't really make any difference in my decision as to how to treat her. But, you know, I just more wanted to know about what time frame once they start exhibiting these symptoms and what potentially should I be watching for to make sure that she's not experiencing pain and that her quality of life continues to be what it should be. Sure. So one of the, and it's a zebra, but other issues that can cause dogs to cough and to be exhausted after walks would be an underlying heart condition. 
Um, and without having recent x-rays to kind of know if that's happening, that would be one alternative for what's happening. Mm-hmm. And the purpose mm-hmm. then at this point of getting x-rays would maybe be if we can find another explanation for that. Obviously, heart mm-hmm. disease is not something I'd want to wish on Emma at all. But there are treatments for that that, that can actually change those symptoms that you're seeing. Um, the okay. second reason for getting x-rays um, from a standpoint of today would be if she has um, pulmonary disease from her osteosarcoma, the documenting how advanced that disease is helps us predict as oncologists how long we ex- we can expect them to live comfortably. Um, okay. By itself, it's not painful to have those lesions in her lungs, um, but it does slow them down. It, it, it can yeah. make them... Um, feel like they are having to breathe twice as hard, like if they had a really hard walk, but on a normal day when they're just kind of walking around. But it's not, from the standpoint of pain, painful. Mm-hmm. Um, so so from the standpoint of making her more comfortable, there are some medications that can suppress the cough that she's experiencing. If it's just infrequent, mm-hmm. the medications can have some sedative, sedative effects, so it's not something I would um, recommend to any owner who had a dog that coughed occasionally. But from a symptomatic treatment, sometimes their coughing can be quite quite severe, and giving putting them on a cough suppressant would help that. However, any veterinarian would need to document that it is directly related to potentially her osteosarcoma spreading to the lungs and not another underlying disease process because if that were the case, there are different treatments for it. Um, but I but I don't expect for her, at least if this is related to her primary tumor, to be painful um, for her. And an average estimate, I would say, is typically one to two months once they start having clinical symptoms from, from their, their disease in their lungs. I find after doing this job for I think ten years or so now that you it doesn't always read that book and some animals their disease is going to advance more slowly and for some animals their disease is going to advance more rapidly but the average with without quite knowing where she's at or you know um, how many lesions that she would have in her lungs it would be difficult to 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 estimate on, on, on more specifically for Emma. Siobhan, thank you so much for, for calling in with that question, and, and we hope you find some some answers soon. Dr. Turner, thank you for for answering that. Um, I know that uh, when when we got to that point with, with our Jerry and, and he started showing symptoms, um, we, had, we had an x-ray done, even though we really didn't want to. But we did it, and you know what? We got the information, and we were able to make some really, uh, what we felt were really good decisions um, about his course of treatment. And um, he actually lived uh, seven months after two very large lung nuts were found. Um, yeah, so, like you said, awesome. they're all different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're all different. And you know what? We have um, one of your patients in our chat room right now, uh, a dog named Brody. Oh. And uh, they just wanted to say how happy they, they were uh, with you. And um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, he says, Brody last saw Dr. Turner um, early last month, and he was a okay, including a clear chest scan. So um, he was. I, yeah, yeah, awesome. You have some fans out there. Um, I have a, a question for you in in our forums from Lily the Love Bug. And, okay. Um, in the interest of time, uh, Lily has three, but I'm going to ask you one of the questions that she has that I was also going to ask you. Um, Lily asks. Are you a proponent of blending Eastern and Western medicine to treat cancer? Are there any Eastern modalities and or supplements that you would recommend? 
I am absolutely for combining the two therapies. I think well before Western medicine was accepted and the mainstream, it was Eastern medicine. And what I practiced, you know, you know, many, many, many eons ago would have been considered the, the hocus pocus or the kind of different way of looking at it. So I, I very strongly encourage owners, if they're interested in doing that, to combine the two therapies. Because I do think there are benefits and aspects from both sides of what we can offer that can, even if it doesn't change how the tumor behaves and how the prognosis turns out, it may make these patients feel better and do better um, while they're on their treatments. Um, from the standpoint of what supplements that I typically recommend, I, I, I always tell my clients, my head's so big and I can only learn kind of the best <laughs> about certain things. And so I'm actually not the best person at recommending supplements. We we do have um, a brand that we carry by RX Vitamins that has an, a supplement that basically combines all the things that I don't know component-wise into a complement specifically for um, animals with cancer. And a, a second company that we work with very closely, Standard Process, also has a similar product that they did the work for me and combined the, the, the products together. And then I also, for owners that are extremely interested in combining the two therapies, I usually recommend we get an Eastern-trained um, doctor involved in the care because it is very rewarding to work with one of them because they will tweak those supplements and fix them for tailored to the patient, which is something that I'm just, I have very limited knowledge. I, I do believe they make my patients feel better. But when it comes to making small adjustments or adding, you know, something in or taking it out, I'm not the best person for that. But but I absolutely support it, and I, I, I really think my patients do feel a little better when they when they get these supplements on top of their traditional therapy. That, that is really nice to hear. Um, I've heard some great things about standard process, and uh, we actually give our dog Wyatt um, RX Vitamins probiotic, and it has made such a difference yeah. um, in, in his intestinal yeah. system. Yeah, good stuff yeah. there. Um, yeah. Lily also has a, another question. Um, do you know anything about the, um, she calls it the herbal chemotherapeutic agent um, called neoplasine? I know a little. Um, it's a caustic. It's a caustic um, agent that comes from, I believe, um, some type of plant. And I am spacing on it. We actually just read a journal article about this, but um, it, it isn't. I wouldn't classify it as a chemotherapeutic agent. It, it is a topical caustic agent that basically kills anything that it comes in contact with. So people will report that it makes tumors shrink. However, um, in the shrinking of the tumor, anything would shrink if it was an acid or something on it that's caustic. So it, it is um, out there. It is something that people have tried. Um, I personally, if I ever talk to somebody or about this medication, I, I wouldn't use anything on myself that I, I, I or my dog that I, I wouldn't use on myself. And people who have accidentally gotten the cream or the ointment on their skin actually have had wounds and open ulcers that develop, and it's quite painful. Um, so it for me as a traditionalist um, and even one that really supports Eastern medicine, this this wouldn't be something I would recommend for myself and it wouldn't be something I'd recommend for my patients either. You know, yeah, I've heard that it, it can be a pretty um, nasty kind of um, uh, treatment and, and you definitely need to do it under veterinary supervision if you're, if you're going to do it at yeah. all. Um, yeah, it's, it sounds pretty wild. Um, okay, uh, let me ask you uh, real quick about... Um, Oh, gosh, where was it? Oh, um, using immune-boosting supplements. Now, I know you said, mm -hmm. you know, you'd rather um, somebody talk to a, a nutritionist and 
um, as an Eastern medicine person about this, but you know we have a lot of people here who um, who use canine immunity and, and standard process and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. we keep hearing conflicting opinions about giving these types of supplements during chemotherapy. Um, so what what do you advise if somebody wants to try something like canine immunity? Um, should they uh, wait until after chemo, or is it safe to use during chemo? What what are your thoughts about that? So the the reason you're not supposed to use antioxidant therapy during chemotherapy is that that is one of the major ways chemotherapy actually kills cancer cells. So for all the good things that antioxidants do in our bodies when we when we have cancer, the chemotherapy actually uses free radicals. That's what antioxidants um, are, are attacking. The chemotherapy actually causes free radicals, and that's how it exerts its damage to the cancer cells. And so in human medicine, this actually is a bit more of an important thing because people can take thousands of milligrams of vitamin C and thousands of units of vitamin E and actually take doses that will impede some of the beneficial effects of chemotherapy. So I would say for our general products that we have, kind of the canine immunity, the standard process supplements, RX vitamins, and, and many others, the, the level of antioxidants in the, the, the supplement is actually pretty I would say not low, but not really at the levels that we would worry from a medical standpoint to inhibit the chemotherapy from working. Now, the thing is, I I, I don't know what that level is. So I think the safest thing to always do is to start any antioxidant or any um, um, increasing the antioxidants until after the traditional aspect of chemotherapy is done. But for the majority of animals out there that are taking these supplements, you really can't get those doses of antioxidants into them that's going to dramatically change the effect of chemotherapy. But that would be kind of the, I would say, me looking at kind of the whole picture and looking at kind of how, you know, I, I truly think what's the benefit versus the, 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 the risk from it. And I think in the cases of these supplements, sometimes they do have things that make these patients feel better while they're taking their chemotherapy. So, so long as I know kind of the list of supplements my clients are giving their pets, I usually have a good gauge of whether or not we're getting into a level where there's just so many antioxidants that, that potentially would change the way you want your therapy to work. And, and nobody wants to give something that's going to counteract what they're already doing. And so I think from the standpoint of canine immunity and standard process and vitamins, they all they all have very conservative um, antioxidants in it, but it's when you start adding in the, the supplements on top, maybe doing just vitamin C, where that gets a little tricky. But I, but I think if anybody's ever wor- any worried about that, to just start those supplements when chemotherapy is done. Good answer. Thank you so much. We'll be transcribing this um, at some point um, so people can read um, your response. But, but this is a, a big question here, so we really appreciate that answer. Um, sure. Right now, we have a, a question from Dane Mom Sue, and Dane Mom is actually um, she's a parent of Nova, who is a three and a half year osteosarcoma survivor. She's uh, awesome. a great Dane. Yeah, yeah, she's a great Dane and a senior one at that. I, I believe she's over seven years old. And That's um, so cool. Isn't it neat? Yeah. Um, yeah well, I love it. Nova, Nova has been doing great, um, but. Just last week or so, she started um, behaving very oddly, and um, uh, Dane Mom took her in to uh, see her vet, and the vet believes that Nova is showing uh, signs of a brain tumor. Um, Mm -hmm. And what Sue is asking is, she says, I want to know if it's common 
for a brain tumor to occur after three and a half years, or if it's more likely a new primary tumor, um, if it's cancer at all. She has not done um, an MRI um, because just of the huge expense, and um, her symptoms have, have disappeared. No, actually, like for a couple of days, she was really bad, and then um, over the last five days or so, she got back to her usual behavior. So, so Sue's a little confused and, and just wanted to hear your thoughts about this situation. Oh, wow. Well, Nova, amazing. Two and a half years. That's, that's so awesome. I love hearing those stories. Um, the the behavior change, you know, I think if we rule out from blood work and without knowing kind of the full course of what diagnostics were done, I would say if we don't see anything on lab work that points towards why an animal is exhibiting different behavior, the thought does go to the brain. There are some infectious diseases that can affect the brain. Typically with older dogs, you're not going to think that. It's usually something, a differential that you'd maybe see if you had a younger dog, but still it's it's on the list. It's just very low to the bottom. Um, in this particular um, situation, though, being two and a half years out, those are the animals where if we do see metastatic disease from osteosarcoma, it can go to weird places. So in this particular case, just given that, you know, I do see animals that get multiple cancers and she definitely has lived long enough that if something else were to crop up, it it could. Um, but an MRI at this point, if it's not something financially feasible to do, it's difficult to know if it's, it is truly related to osteosarcoma or another primary brain tumor because she, she technically is out far enough that she she very easily could have a, a different disease process. Now, looking at the symptoms, how they were there and now they're not, I don't know if any treatment was started for that. You know, is she, was she put on any steroids or anti-inflammatory medications? Because just by doing that can change kind of the inflammatory changes that are occurring secondary to a tumor in the brain. And so I have seen animals where we, we know that they actually do have brain mets or they have a primary brain tumor. And from a symptomatic treatment, putting them on steroids can decrease the inflammation that tumors cause when, they, when they're in the brain. And just by decreasing the inflammation, it decreases the pressure, and you can see dogs have a change in their symptoms just by that. But if no therapy was given and this was, you know, one point in time, you know, it almost could be anything, really. It could be something in her brain. It could be, you know, a new problem in her brain. Or, you know, as dogs get older, they do start to get kind of quirky changes in their behavior, which, you know, until we are able to study different degenerative diseases of the brain like they do in people, we probably won't be able to document that in dogs. But but with, without knowing if there was any treatment given or not, for the symptoms just to be there for a bit and go away is, is unusual. And I, I don't know that I have a good explanation for that, other than if sometimes dogs have one thing happen in time and then we never see it again. Mm-hmm. Nova is, uh, she's actually on, on prednisone and, and tramadol, um, Dane Mom just said. And um, okay. she's actually three and a half years out, oh, <laughs> which wow. is incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. We we have a, a, a question, one last question from Brody. Sure. Um, we, uh, we keep hearing a lot about Palladia. There's a lot of dogs who are using it right now in, in tripods. And he wants to know, other than GI issues, what are the negative side effects of Palladia? Um, can it cause ulcers or um, yes. ongoing um, diarrhea, which can lead to ulcers? 
really once the if they're on the medication that the diarrhea is a symptom um, of the of the drug which doesn't always mean that they are going to develop ulcers it's just one of the many things that can happen when they're on on that drug but if you stop the medication then those symptoms after everything has healed will not typically return it's generally something that's seen only when they're on the drug so GI ulcers, um, diarrhea, are two of the more common things we see. Um, this is also a chemotherapy drug, so it does affect the bone marrow, and we can see it suppress their white cell count, just as if they were on traditional chemotherapy. And because they take this medication usually on an every other day or three times a week basis, um, sometimes we don't see those um, changes in their bone marrow within the first few weeks of treatment. We can see it a few months after they've been on treatment. So there probably is a bit of a cumulative effect as far as how it affects their bone marrow for some patients, not all, which is why that's important to always monitor their blood work and to hopefully notice if any of those changes are happening. And then some other side effects that are more cosmetic, it can affect their skin. It's pretty rare, but we had have a few animals lose their fur on their face from this medication. And it is reported this class of drug in human medicine is reported to cause arthritis-type symptoms in people. And we have seen reports of dogs that are, are sometimes stiff or seem uncomfortable when taking this medication. So, so those are less reported and less frequent side effects. And usually if we see those, we see them immediately when we put them on the drug. But ulcer, potential ulcer formation um, and diarrhea are the two main things that we monitor, monitor there for when they're on palladium. Interesting. Thank you so much. This hour, this half hour has just flown by, and you've provided a wealth of information. We'd love to invite you to join us in the chat room. We do have some guests there waiting, if you don't mind. And I'm going to have to wrap this up now and let people know that they can find out more about the Veterinary Cancer Group at tripods.com slash tag slash BCG. We have a number of video interviews from some of your colleagues there. On that note, we're going to invite people to visit vetcancergroup.com or join us in the chat room at tripods.com slash chat. Thanks again, Dr. Turner. Thank you. Until next time on Tripod Talk Radio, learn more about canine amputation recovery and find the best gear for three-legged dogs at tripods.com. Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for more pet amputation tips from experts. And claim your free gift just for listeners at downloads.tripods.com slash podcast.